Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Come join the conversation on the Old National Bank Talk and Text Line. Old National Bank. Get old. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So very glad to have you with us. An abbreviated program today. Um, Our coverage of Brewers opening day and their opening on the road in Chicago starts around 1245. First pitch scheduled for 120. And hopefully this is going to be the start of a great baseball season for the Brewers. I think they're going to be incredibly competitive. But of course, you know, all fans of all the teams think that going into the year. Time will tell. Did you hear Sandy's weather report? I mean, you, you, you want to talk about, you know, Wisconsin in the spring. The forecast is 62 tomorrow with some storms and some high winds. Then the forecast is an up to an inch of snow on Saturday. It's going to go from 62 degrees to perhaps an inch of snow in the space of a day. And then by Monday, which is, of course, the home opener, it's it's back to 55 degrees. It's just, I mean, you want to talk about a wild ride. That's certainly the case. Okay, bunch of ground to cover before we turn it over to Brewers coverage. I, I want to start off by calling um, your attention to my, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620 And I, every election season, I try to identify one or two ads that I I think just stand out as being particularly misleading. You know, the the ads that you you listen to them or you watch them and you just you drop 20 IQ points. And And again, this isn't this isn't so much the politics of it, because I understand that there's ads that make charges all around. And I understand that, you know, if you again, or a consumer of uh, the radio or television. You just get kind of sick of seeing these. But there's always one or two ads that really stick out. And I heard, again, on our station earlier this morning, I heard one of those ads that, to me, it it sticks out, and I've identified it. Again, if you follow me on Twitter, I've got a link to it. It's And I admit this year, it's a tough choice. It's always a tough choice. But there is one ad that I think is the sleaziest, most misleading, hypocritical ad of the campaign. And like I say, it's been airing for the better part of a month. So obviously the people that are airing this feel that this is succeeding. This is the anti-Dan Kelly ad, which is being run not, I think, by the Protosawitz campaign, but I think it's being run by you know some of these like dark money groups. And this is the ad that attacks Dan Kelly for representing a child sex predator. You might have heard the language, um, Dan Kelly won't keep our community safe because as a lawyer, Kelly defended child sex predators who posed as ministers in order to prey on vulnerable young girls. And then, of course, there's the scary music and there's the unflattering photos of Kelly and the word predators scrolling images of court records and cases from 1997 and 1998. All right, well, what's what's the truth? This is this conservative law and order guy who, who wants to be back on the Supreme Court, and he's really, he was getting off predators and stuff. Now, the, the background behind this is these cases were against a guy named Kenneth Spaulding, who was convicted in December of 1998 of four counts of first-degree sexual assault of a child. 
Oh, okay, that that's that's it. And according to news reports, Spalding had acted as a pastor of a church. The couple ran out of their home, where they would sometimes have unrelated children sleep over, and where the abuse occurred. All right, so the guy is clearly a, a major league sleazebag. So what does that have to do with with Dan Kelly? Well, well, here's the deal. Kelly gets out of law school in the early 1990s, and he's a law clerk for the Wisconsin Court of Appeals. He's a law clerk for, I believe it's the federal bankruptcy courts for um, federal court of claims for four years. So he comes back to Wisconsin, and he goes to work for uh, a law firm for essentially a cup of coffee. And that law firm represents the Spaldings. So for a couple months, what Kelly does is he's assigned to, hey, you're, you're going to help out on this case. And he handles a couple pretrial matters. And then, then he leaves that firm and he goes and he works for one of the bigger law firms in town. At the time, it was called Reinhardt Borner. And, and that's where he spends most of his career in private practice. But yeah, he handled a couple pretrial matters for, you know, these people who are accused of these terrible crimes and were convicted of these terrible crimes okay so that's the deal I, i'm i'm listening to this ad though and you want to talk about the hypocrisy of this entire thing because i, I mean i wonder how all the people on the left out there all the aclu types that are constantly preaching about hey right to counsel and you know innocent until proven guilty i wonder how they feel about an ad that is essentially saying somebody is unfit to serve in office because, gee, as a lawyer, he represented people who were charged with very, very serious crimes. Now, I, I just this is always kind of amazing to me because, look, anybody knows my background when I was practicing law. I, I spent most of my career as, as a federal prosecutor. And then, you know, when I was in private practice, it, it was civil litigation. I, I don't I don't think I ever handled a criminal case to fruition. I might have handled a couple just, you know, at different stages of the things. But I, I, you know, even as a prosecutor, I I never thought that there was a problem as long as people do it ethically with representing criminal defense attorneys. It wasn't something that was necessarily my cup of tea that I would have chosen to do. But our system needs people who are willing to come forward and are willing to make sure that the rights of people who are accused of crimes are in fact protected. So it's very, very interesting to me that the left is trying to say, okay, don't vote for Dan Kelly because he had the audacity to provide counsel to people who were accused of crimes. Like I say, if there was an evidence that he did something unethical or that might be a different story, but it's merely the fact that he chose to represent a couple people who were accused of very, very terrible crimes, that in and of itself should be disqualifying. Give me a break. When we come back, what's going on in Russia today? I'll explain. We'll discuss. Stick around. Boy, so much news. So much news, including the fact that new poll out, Marquette University Law School 
They've done a national survey. Most of their polls, of course, are Wisconsin polls. And to give you an idea of like the, where where things stand and how Wisconsinites feel, every once in a while they do a national survey, and they are out with the results of their national survey. And it's sort of interesting. Um, again, it's it's national. And so when you think about these the presidential races, the thing that you have to keep in mind is the fact that we don't select a president or even a presidential nominee by a national vote. What you have is is different states. So it really, it matters less about what somebody's numbers are across the country. It's more telling, you know, how are you doing in New Hampshire or how are you doing in Iowa or how are you doing in South Carolina? Because, you know, those are are the primaries. But I, I guess for this perspective of horse races, it's kind of interesting. So the poll was conducted March 13th through the 22nd. And they asked, all right, in a race between Donald Trump and Joe Biden, in other words, a replay of the 2020 election, where who would you vote for? And it was essentially tied. 38 say Trump, 38 percent say Biden, 20 percent say somebody else and 4 percent say that they wouldn't vote. They asked the same question, Biden and DeSantis, and essentially it's tied as well. 42% say they would vote for DeSantis, 41% say that they would vote for Biden, 13% say that they want someone else, and again, the same 4% wouldn't vote. But again, the telling thing is it doesn't matter whether it's Trump or or Biden, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Trump or DeSantis, uh, essentially it's the same sort of situation. They ask uh, Republican voters, all right, um, among the different choices, who would you like to see be the nominee? 40% say Donald Trump, give me strength. 35% say Ron DeSantis. 5% say Mike Pence. Uh, Nikki Haley, he gets 5%, and then nobody else kind of even registers on the list. Of course, this is at a point in time where the, the campaigns haven't really started, so it seems to me it's kind of tough to ask that question. But the bottom line of all this is that it's still the race is extremely fluid. Now, I know that there's a Fox News poll that's out that shows that among Republican voters, Donald Trump is the preference of 50 plus percent and DeSantis is the choice of like 20 percent. I am somewhat skeptical of that in the Marquette National Poll which asks if the choice was just between the two of them, who would you prefer as the Republican nominee for president in 2024, Donald Trump or Ron DeSantis? Um, They asked this question to registered Republicans and independents who lean Republican, and the results were 54% said DeSantis, 46% said Trump. So I bring this up because, again, like I say, there's this Fox News poll that's out that says Trump is is leading bigly, as he would say, uh, over DeSantis. There's other polls that suggest that's not necessarily the case. And the truth of all this is that this is a very, very fluid situation. And I, I think election polling, in this case, in March of 2023, when the primary season doesn't begin until January of 2024, and the presidential election isn't until November of 24, my guess is, if we're having this conversation, and when we have this conversation a year from now, these numbers are going to be very, very different. And that's, by the way, not criticizing the poll 
or the calculations that were made. It's just kind of the reality that this campaign, I don't think, has started. So, you know, no question about that. The big news, and, and we're going to spend some more time on this on the program yes, uh, tomorrow, because we're really, again, we've got this early out time for the Brewers. But the big story to me today is Russia is at it again. Now, you will remember we, we spent, gosh, it seems like almost a year talking about the um, professional basketball player, Brittany Griner, who was arrested in Russia for what I, I think was a largely trumped up offense, no pun intended. She had, again, she had a small, I mean, underscore small quantity of, you know, hash oil that was in a, a, a vaporizer thing. And it just, it under normal circumstances, you would have caught her with that and they would have either fined her or confiscated it and then thrown her out of the country. But because this is Russia nowadays and everything is going on in Ukraine, she became a political prisoner. She was, in my opinion, essentially held hostage until they could orchestrate a trade. And ultimately, because of political pressure, without commenting on whether it was the right thing to do or not, Brittany Griner is released. And in exchange, the United States has to give up a convicted arms dealer who was referred to as the merchant of death. All right, it's happened again. Uh, The Wall Street Journal had a reporter in Russia. His name was Evan Gershkovitz. And you know he'd, he'd worked for the New York Times, he'd worked for a newspaper in France, but he, he was assigned the Russia beat for the Wall Street Journal. And he'd been covering issues related to the war in Ukraine. Well, apparently, you know, what happened is he was, uh, he's a U.S. citizen, he's a member of the Wall Street Journal's Moscow Bureau, and he was on a reporting trip in a city in eastern Russia. I'm not going to try to pronounce it at this point in time, but apparently he, he's sitting at dinner. He's in a restaurant, and all of a sudden, the, the the Russian thugs come in. They grab him and they haul him out. And now he's being accused, uh, essentially, of well, I don't want to say necessarily treason, but he's being accused of, of spying, um, in doing his job as a reporter. And so now he is in custody. Uh, his hearing, I think, is scheduled for a, a May or something like that. But, you know, in Russia, these are all show trials. So, you know, the guy is going to end up getting convicted. And so here you have a situation where you have a reporter that's grabbed off the street and will presumably be the next, I don't know, the next pawn that Russia is going to try to use in an effort to extract the release of somebody who really is a big-time criminal or something like that. I think one of the lessons of this moving forward is for news organizations that have people in Russia, what you need to realize, particularly in the United States, nobody is safe. And it really appears to me that the Russians are willing and the Putin administration is willing to do whatever it, it thinks it can get away with. And if that means taking hostages, that's what it means. And for a lot of us who were questioning what was going on with Brittany Griner, my biggest concern was going to be you were going to set a precedent. And if we trade her for, in this case, a convicted arms dealer, it is going to lead to the detention of more Americans. And it appears that that is exactly what has happened. We will talk more about this tomorrow because it raises a lot of questions. One of our, tweet, somebody on uh, Census Tweet that says, 
know, why is the U.S. even allowing journalists or anyone else to go to Russia? Well, that's that's a very, very interesting issue, and it's a difficult sort of question. On the one hand, you know, you, you have situations like freedom of the press and things like that, but after we saw what happened in the Brittany Griner case, where you have somebody that even if she violated a Russian law, and I think there's a big if to that, we're talking about something. This wasn't Midnight Express. It's not like uh, Brittany Griner was smuggling, you know, tons of heroin out of the country or something. You know, she stupidly, I think, made the decision to go to Russia in the first place and then, you know, didn't go through her luggage and remove, again, this small, this vape thing that had a small quantity of, of a controlled substance in it. But again, like I say, the typical reaction would have been you, you confiscate it, you fine her, and you, you toss her out of the country if you felt that that was necessary. But because Putin realized he was able to do this and use her as a essentially hold her as a political hostage and in some respects extort the United States into turning a a real severe hardened criminal with ties to the former KGB on the streets you knew that this was going to happen again and it, it apparently has so you know what's going to go on i mean the, the journalists all across the world and news outlets are expressing their condemnation of this and apparently the guy um his, his reporting had centered around the the russian military um system and he was doing i presumably investigative work well okay i think the lesson now is for other other countries particularly western countries that have branches that are open um, and they're staffed by people who are non-Russians, you really, I, I think they need to take a hard look at this because you knew, just like what happened with Brittany Griner, you knew it was going to happen again, and it apparently it has. And the question becomes, you know, what what would the U.S. be expected to give up in return for, again, a Wall Street Journal journalist who apparently, in my opinion, I don't think he was doing anything wrong. He was doing his job, but doing your job in Russia under Vladimir Putin at a time when Putin has tried to um, invade Ukraine and the war is going badly for Putin, you know that there's pretty much you know everything on the table and the fact that, gee, it would have been unthinkable to... Yep, Linda Ronstadt's cover of Tumbling Dice. Gee, why would that be appropriate? Oh, yeah, well, if you were listening to Sandy's newscast just a couple minutes ago, Potawatomi, which announced, oh, a few months ago that they were going to be opening a sports betting facility, and they had renegotiated their compact with the Evers administration, and they'd been given the go-ahead to do it. And the question is, when was it going to happen? Well, it is happening just in time for the Major League Baseball season, just in time for the NBA playoffs, starting tomorrow. Um, Potawatomi will be opening up sports betting kiosks. Now, ultimately, their their sports betting facility is going to be on the first floor, and it's going to be on the location where they used to have the Northern Lights Theater, where they used to have shows and things like that. There's not going to be a Northern Lights Theater anymore, although my understanding is they might you know, occasionally have shows and entertainment in, in other facilities now that they have the hotel attached. But what was the Northern Lights facility is going to be turned into a sports book. 
I don't. One of the questions I, I haven't, nobody's been able to answer to, for me is is whether or not it's going to also include horse betting. You know, um, like a race book. I don't know about that. All the things I see is it's going to be a, a sports book. A lot of times, you know, sports books also allow racing to bet on horse racing. And for years and years, Potawatomi did in fact have a race book. But in any event, starting tomorrow. They are going to have two temporary locations um, where you can go in and you can place bets on sporting events. There's going to be 20 different kiosks. So, uh, again, you, you do this. I don't know that there's even going to be tellers that are going to be there, you know, that, that take the bets. But there's going to be 20 kiosks, um, two different locations. Some are going to be in the um, former Fire Pit Sports Bar and Grill, which is on the first floor. And uh, also they're going to have um, a second location where they're going to key- have kiosks off the second level skywalk. My sense is this is going to be kind of in the area where the old race book used to be. Um, and again, right now they say they're renovating the site of the permanent sports book in the site of where the old uh, casino, uh, the old, again, the old entertainment casino used to be, the Northern Lights uh, uh, Theater. So they're going to have a big ribbon cutting tomorrow and all. It's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out. Uh, the dedicated sports gambling areas are supposed to include 30 televisions featuring games and competitions from all across the world, along with new dining options and a brand new bar. This is, of course, a reflection of the fact that more and more states have joined Las Vegas and have allowed the, the whole sports betting phenomena to occur. And, and my guess is that uh, this is going to be just an enormous success. I have no question about that. And I think you're going to see a lot of people that are going to, you know, pour down, especially in the beginning, pour down and cast the bets. Um, I Look, I'm, I'm one of these guys who uh, I, I am not against betting. I go to Las Vegas. I have been known to sit in sports books and place wagers, and I have been known to bet on, on horses. Not so much any as much as I used to, but um, I, I think that there is there is a value to that. There is a recreational activity. There is, is a fun, an element of fun to that, and I can certainly see people going down and placing a bet, and then sitting around and watching the game. And I can see how that would enhance your interest in the game. I do think that the more and more we start to open up and let the genie out of the bottle when it comes to sports gaming, we also have to be more and more mindful of some of the downsides of of gambling. And that is that there are people who are problem gamblers, and when you give them the opportunity to bet on sports games, that just enhances that. It gives them more chances to bet on stuff, and it, it I think, increases the risk. I'm not saying we shouldn't do it. I think this is going to be a huge success, but I do think it's going to be something that we have to be mindful of moving forward. Okay, that's it for me. Milwaukee Brewers baseball coming up. It's the opening day game. They're on the road in Chicago. I am back 12 noon tomorrow when we do this all again. Have a great Thursday. Enjoy the baseball game. Go Brewers. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ.